0: It's time for security now. Steve Gibson's here. The first Zero Day Exploit on XP is here. We'll talk about mitigation and then we're going to dive deep in certificates, how SSL TLS works, how the certificate system works, and in particular the problem with certificate revocation. It's coming up next. It's a Propellerhead uh, episode next on Security Now. Netcasts You Love.
1: From people you trust.
0: This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by Cashfly at dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 453, recorded April 29th, 2014. Certificate revocation, part 1. Security Now is brought to you by IT Pro TV. Are you looking to upgrade your IT skills or prepare for certification? IT Pro TV offers engaging, informative tutorials streamed to your Roku, computer, or mobile device for thirty percent off the lifetime of your account. Go to itpro.tv/security now and use the code SN thirty. It's time for security now. Get ready to protect your loved ones and yourself online. With the explainer-in-chief himself, the very relatable, highly geeky Stephen Tiberius Gibson. (laughs) Hi, Steve.
1: (laughs) I got a a bizarre email out of the blue from Roger Wagner, and I don't think there was any connection with the fact that I was talking about him in context when we were doing our our, – actually, actually, I think it was in our second – maybe it was in our first triangulation, but – He and Waz were together, he he wrote last Thursday, and I don't know what what the occasion was, but they were talking about the hang gliding trip to Mexico that I referred to. And what I forgot, which they both remembered and were laughing about, was that when we were done with our day of hang gliding down in Mexico, we were stuck in the border traffic trying to, you know, get back into the States. And... And in the same sort of mood that I sometimes get into, like when I was dancing with the cardboard cutout of James T. Kirk, I got out of the bus and and along with all of the Mexican vendors who were trying to sell piñatas and roses and and so forth, um, I started selling light pens to the... Get um, your
0: light pens
1: here! to, To the... To the people at That's the funny because so, you have
0: to have an Apple II for them to be of any use, am I right? Well, yeah, I didn't sell any, but... It was, uh, you know, <laughs> Did you have a little,
1: was, a little box thought, that you
0: had hung around your neck? And... I
1: don't even know why I had them with me, <laughs> but so apparently funny. I apparently I had some. What's and your, anyway, what's your every, sales pitch for the light pen? Everyone on the bus got a big kick out of it, which was, <laughs> of course, the point.
0: That is that is hysterical. That sounds uh, like fun. Yeah. So, well...
1: So we have um, not crazy week, which is nice for a change, although we have some significant news. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, the first not-going-to-be-patched zero-day flaw Mm -hmm. found affecting IE. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got another critical update from Adobe that they're pushing out, a new version of Firefox. We're up to 29 now. Um, Some interesting news of a bunch of major industry heavyweights jumping in to fund important open source projects for the good of the internet, and also just a little blurb about some routers that come with DDWRT, the firmware that we were recommending, uh, that way from the factory. So, uh, you know, good news. And then we're going to talk about, this is the first of two podcasts, as I promised last week which I think people are going to find really interesting, uh, talking about revocation, that is the the certificate revocation problem. Um, we're going to go back and look at basically how it all works from a historical and evolutionary perspective, getting up to where we are now, what is probably going to happen in the future, and sort of basically understand that we've built a system where we're really good about determining what to trust but then we also need to say, uh, but wait a minute, we need some exceptions. And so how do we revoke that trust in a reliable fashion after we've gone to all this trouble of creating it in the first place? But really, as, as we were saying before we began, before you hit the record button, Leo, um, you don't really have trust unless you're right. able to revoke it when you've changed your mind. It's meaningless to say, trust me, if you can't say, don't trust me. It, Precisely. it has no meaning. Precisely. So this week we're going to cover the mechanisms and the theory, and then we'll follow up next week with our look at what specific browsers and operating system platforms do in this regard. And it turns out no two of them are the same, and it's really confusing because they interact with each other. So that, I mean, it's like, in fact, I won't, in some cases, I won't be able to be definitive next week because... Well, because it's just it's hard to know exactly what's happening, and but but there's lots of interesting specifics that we will talk about. So we have a, a couple of great podcasts. Uh, first one today.
0: You know, this would be a good time maybe to to briefly take a break so that we can get right into it. And uh, our sponsor today is a, a, a couple of guys who I think the world of, Tim and Don from It Pro TV. It Pro TV m- believes it shouldn't be. So expensive to become an IT professional that you should be able to study for those certifications like A plus MCSA and E, the CISSP, the Net Plus, the uh, ISC squared. You should be able to do that, on, you know, in an easy, fun format for not a huge amount of money, and that's what they've built. Very, it's very much like Twit. In fact, they they freely admit we were inspired by uh, the screensavers. In fact, if you look at their set, it looks very much like. Uh, the screensavers uh, set and by what twit what we do at twit and uh and it pro tv you know you can get it on the roku you can get it on your laptop your desktop watch these videos and you will learn in fact the videos are organized by the objectives of the course so you can study up on a particular part of any of these certifications more all the time they're making dozens of videos each and every week 30 hours every week. They've, they've got hundreds of hours of content totally. I think this is just a great idea. And I, when you know, Don and Tim first came to visit, I said, please, let us tell our audience about this because uh, you guys are, are doing exactly uh, what I think people especially who listen to Security Now want to do. Uh, in fact, I hear from people all the time who say, Hey, I was watching tech TV when I was a kid. That's why I got into IT. I changed my career because of, of what you said. But this one is this stuff is aimed specifically at that. For one low monthly price, you get access to all the videos, updates daily. There's a no hassle, easy cancellation policy, by the way. I, they made a special point of that. They knew that you guys wouldn't want to have to jump through hoops to cancel when you're done. Courses cover every area of. Network security, PC support, VLAN subnetting—it's uh, engaging too. It's fun to watch. I think that's part of the the thing that makes this so successful is you're actually going to enjoy watching IT Pro TV. So, what I'm going to invite you to do is visit itpro.tv/security now. Uh, learn more about it. Go visit—you know, watch some of the live broadcasts, uh, watch some of the videos. There are a good number of free videos available to you if you want to just watch what they're doing, um, and then um, sign up. And when, when you do, I want you to save some money on this. Now, normally, it's fifty-seven dollars a month, five hundred seventy dollars if you buy a year. That, by the way, is an excellent price compared to the cost of going to a technical school or, or, uh, or you know, learning uh, this stuff from you know study guides. That's a cost of one study guy but when you use our offer code sN30 you're going to get thirty percent off your script subscription and not just for the first week or month but for the lifetime of your account. Uh, I am just a big fan I want you to check it out sN30 is the uh, su- subscription code when you want to sign up by the way you you get a lot of nice features including the new virtual. sandbox lab that gives you a virtual machine hands-on practice not just one machine but you get an entire network you can work on so you can really try this stuff out without owning you know a microsoft server or or any of that stuff measure up practice exams are included with your subscription that's worth 79 bucks you can you can take the practice exams if you're an annual subscriber you can download episodes and audio only mp3s to watch offline next time you take a plane this is a great feature corporate accounts available for departments and companies that's you just go to the support page and inquire there. But for, for you listeners, I've got a deal, and I want you to visit itpro.tv slash security now. Save 30% for the life of your subscription with the offer code SN30. If you've always wanted a, a job in IT or you want to just get better as an IT professional, I can't think of a better resource. itpro.tv slash security now. And uh, tip of the hat to Don and Tim have put together a fabulous, really fabulous product. Uh all right Steve let's get to the uh, security news of the week.
1: Yeah so you know with having passed the the end of XP service we're all waiting to see what's going to happen. And what has what was found by the guys at FireEye was an attack a, a targeted attack using IE versions 9 through 11 by the way none of which run on XP, but the vulnerability is present from IE6 through 11. So basically, you know, like IE6 goes way back. So all versions of IE essentially, although at the moment the targeted attacks don't affect XP. Yet, so here the the expectation is that Microsoft will not be fixing IE8, which was the last Internet Explorer that runs on XP. Um, still, my contention has been that, you know, we'll have to see um, what develops in the fullness of time. This is not, you know, not a vulnerability in XP, but yet again, another vulnerability in IE. And of course, as I've always said, Internet Explorer has is always been sketchy to use. The Firefox and Chrome in terms of vulnerabilities are probably a better place to be. Um, so uh, many people were surprised when I tweeted that I had just blogged about this yesterday because what I got back was a lot of feedback saying, you have a blog? And it's like, yes. Um, you know, there are situations <laughs> where I, I have something to say that won't fit in a tweet but it's just – it's transient or it doesn't make sense to, like, create a web page. You know, and, of course, the, I guess the, the, the point is that since I have grc.com, most of the you know, serious anchor things I do are on web pages. But there's a place for a blog too, and it's steve.grc.com is my blog. And so what I wrote there – this is just two paragraphs of it. I said, web browsers are growing insanely complex – it's pretty clear that they will be our next-generation operating platforms. And as the last annual pwn to own contest showed, which we, of course, covered on the show a few months ago, none of them can currently withstand the focused attention of skilled and determined attackers, especially when some prize money is dangled on the other side of the finish line. With, at, with most recent exploits, the path to exploitation is convoluted and complex. In this case, it depends upon somehow encountering malicious web content with IE's active scripting enabled, which loads an Adobe Shockwave flash file, which in turn uses JavaScript in this vulnerable version of IE, which is presently all versions of IE, um, in order to leverage a deprecated standard vml which is the vector markup language it's been disabled in fr- from ie10 on because we've replaced it in the internet on in, in the industry with html5 so you know scalable vector graphics as you know is there and html html5 sort of like put the final nail in its coffin so but again you know attackers are very clever and they figured out how to do this. The FireEye guys have very, very detailed coverage of this and explain how Shockwave Flash is used with some, some known attacks that are, that are characteristic to set the stack up in a way that then the vulnerability in this vector markup language, which is still hanging around, um, is able to be exploited. So the, the reason I made a blog uh entry for this is that Microsoft has a remediation that is effective right now. But I've not been able to get it to work under 64-bit windows. It worked perfectly for me on XP. Um and so you know, I, I needed a place where I could quickly explain it and and give this to people who are interested. Um, And it's just a, it's a, you know, a crazy deregister VML from the registry so that it's not available to, to be invoked by IE. And so you can, if you, if you're using XP, uh, 32-bit XP, um, you can simply do this, uh, which is explained at steve.grc.com and, the problem is solved. And in fact, I also provide a test link there where before you do it, you can click the link and it brings up a vector markup language floor plan in IE. And it's like, oh, look, I mean, you have to, assuming that you are using IE, uh, if, if, I mean, like if you have Firefox as your default URL handler, you'll have to copy this into IE, in order to make IE, render the floor plan, and it will. Then you run this, restart IE, and it will no longer run it. So that's your confirmation that you're no long, no longer vulnerable on this version of IE, which we now believe Microsoft is not going to patch. Um, I cannot get the same thing to work. Yes, now see what, what you're showing on the screen there was where it said a VML capable browser is required to display this image. This so is in Chrome. That's
0: on Mac. Okay, so, so.
1: <laughs> which is not surprising. So <laughs> yeah. Chrome is you know probably never supported VML. Um, I get the same thing under Firefox. Now, over on, just so people don't misunderstand, over on Win 7.64, which was the other platform I tested, I initially got that. But I knew, but this is in IE 11, and I knew that IE 11 had deprecated VML. So under the menu, I went to compatibility mode, added that, that domain to compatibility mode, then I got the floor plan so you're so you're able to get i mean it's still there and and so the attack must um involve getting around that and knowing microsoft and, and again i'm i'm like in at the, just the beginning of looking at this i had to get had to work all day or this morning so far on the podcast so i couldn't dig any deeper i plan to go further this afternoon and i will probably be updating that that same blog entry, unless I just decide to scrap it and start over and do another one, once I get this untangled, because there are typically headers you can put in web pages to invoke these old modes that IE uniquely understands, and so that's probably part of the attack. So, you know, I, I may end up quickly throwing together a web page with some simple VML and this invocation just to allow people to verify that they've been able to make themselves safe. But now that I've got this thing un- under Win 7 rendering the floor plan, I can't get it to stop rendering it. I can- you know, I- uh. Microsoft's, my- Microsoft's own advice isn't working over there, works great under XP. So for 32-bit XP people, we have an answer, and probably late, later this afternoon, once I have had a chance to look at this a little closer, um, we'll have more. So... Anyway, so it it is targeted, it's in the wild, it's be it's in use. We don't know if Microsoft is gonna produce an out of cycle patch or or what. Um you know, we have good remediation. Really, nobody needs VML. It's it's no longer being used. It's not even available in IE ten and eleven unless you you know immediately unless you somehow explicitly go back and sort of you know, turn on something that has been deprecated by the industry, yet, you know, it's still there. So, uh, and I thought, well, how about just renaming the DLL? Because it's it's in two places. There's a 32-bit version and a 64-bit version. It's vgx.dll, but Windows is protecting me from myself and I don't have the privileges to, to rename the file. So it's like, okay, well, that won't work. Anyway, I'll figure it out and I'll have something updated on my blog. So, yes, I have a blog. It's very... You know, seldom used. I think it was August of some other year that I I, I was uh, actually my my prior posting w- was about Ladar, and it was oh, a, yeah. a, a yeah, the, August the, last the year. Yeah, yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, so so it makes sense. You know, for for some things, it's like it's perfect when I want to do something quickly, get something out that won't fit in Twitter. It's not worth doing a page at GRC. So it's you know it's on my blog. So, Steve G- yeah. GRC dot com. Right, and it, all all that is is it bounces you over to WordPress. It's just a WordPress hosted blog, so nothing special, but you know, handy. And it does allow people to comment, and there is a whole comment thread fall off of the blog right now about twenty seven responses. I think uh, some people reporting success, some confused, and I've I've responded a couple times saying, okay, I'll I'm going to figure this out, and uh, we'll 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 come up with some answers yeah. as soon as we can. Good. So good. Uh, New Firefox happened yesterday. We went from version 28 to 29, and we got the somewhat controversial, what they call their new streamlined look, which everyone else says, wow, this looks a lot like Google Chrome. And in fact, some people don't like it enough that there is also an add-on that you can get the classic theme restorer in order to bring it back to something that you're more comfortable with. Um I've got I guess I have enough tweaks that I've already made to mine it it didn't really change mine the back button is now kind of big and round but uh, uh, otherwise I still have my crazy list of tabs down the right hand side instead of across the top which is the default you know and I've got a I've got the menu line with you know file starting at file and ending in help so all of that was preserved as I went from 28 to 29 um there weren't a huge number of improvements. Uh, they've got a new version of Firefox Sync, which provides end-to-end encryption, uh, so good encryption for synchronizing instances of of your Firefox on different platforms. Um, they've got that have a new customization mechanism that makes it highly customizable. Uh, there's sort of a new walkthrough that introduces users to the new features, and otherwise they've just They've continued to push and move forward with HTML and CSS standards. So they're like, you know, the the hyphen MOSE uh, suffixes have been dropped from things where, you know, they're no longer they no longer make any sense. So they're just sort of moving uh, forward. So if you it makes sense to to stay current. But if you don't let the changes that have been, have been made in terms of the UI look, you can get all of the security features and enhancements and stay with the latest Firefox yet use their, the so-called classic theme restorer. um, And you can find it under that name uh, in order to stay, stay with an older look. If you prefer that Um, over the weekend, uh, a another zero day critical flaw was found. So Adobe has a multi-platform patch, um the uh, IE10 and 11 will update um uh Chrome will update you know for you um but if you you know but if you're running older versions of IE uh and or Firefox you may actually if I guess Firefox is supposed to be checking now and and prevent you from using old versions so there is a new one and you can just go download.adobe.com, I think. Uh, but be careful because it's trying, I think right now it's trying to give you McAfee scan or something if you don't explicitly uncheck that box. So make sure you don't get junk installed that you you wish hadn't been. Uh, it, it's it's interesting how easy it is just to overlook the, the checkbox that <laughs> you wish you'd remembered to turn off. And I did, after talking last week about the return of our port 32764 problem and how how ethernet can enable an internet backdoor uh and how it just really seems at this point that if if you can use a router that's got that's got firmware with a known a known history and, and and set of goals and basically, you know, uh, some, some trusted providers, it makes more sense. We talked about DDWRT. And, of course, another very popular firmware is the Tomato firmware. And several people sent back that Buffalo Tech ships their routers with DDWRT out of the box and someone said that his N600 dual band router was very happy with so i just wanted to pass that on I, I did get some 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 notes back from people saying hey well you know what how do i do that where can i get a router that's got that so uh it's very often the case that you can just go to eBay and you know and get a an old can't remember is is 54 that that Linksys uh Super yeah the wrt the uh,
0: DD what is it WRT 54g I think is the one that's that best sounds right but you know um, well go ahead and keep going because I know what you're gonna talk.
1: well about. anyway I'm, I'm, and so you can often find an old, an old refurbed one right. and you know for very inexpensive and then we just, have tons you know, in the basement
0: we have like six <laughs> of them in the basement I don't know why <laughs> well they all have because
1: they all have DDwrt on them yeah yeah the wrt 54gs2 oh, oh, you mean that you have tons Operating in the basement,
0: running. Um, you actually, you know, I don't know how many of them are in use. We put, we were using them, and I think Russell uh, took them out of circulation. I believe I'm not sure, ah. oh. uh, but we, yeah, no, we have four or five uh, 54Gs running DDWRT. <laughs>
1: yeah, for a long time, that was that was the insider's you absolutely know, hot router. That, that that was what you did absolutely. So, th- in a very nice move, responding essentially to sort of a wake-up call. It's how I'm thinking of the Heartbleed incident. It 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 shocked everyone, and I think it was. It's you know when the when the future internet history is written, it's going to stand out as a moment when sort of the the complacency that we had drifted into was shaken out of us Um, because. The Linux Foundation announced the, the start of a three-year initiative, which has already got commitments for $3.9 million over the course of three years, specifically to fund underfunded open source projects, which are considered to be important to the health and future of the internet. So... Amazon, Cisco, Dell, Facebook, Fujitsu, Google, IBM, Intel, Microsoft, NetApp, Qualcomm, Rackspace, and VMware have all stepped up and, and pledged to commit $100,000 each per year uh, for at least three years to the Linux Foundation's new what they call Core Infrastructure Initiative, Um and apparently, the companies were really willing. I mean, when 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 Linux came knocking, uh, when when the Linux Foundation came knocking and said, "Hey, would you?" They said, "Oh my God, we're so glad you asked. We're sorry we you know didn't occur to us to do this sooner." And what was really interesting, the counterpoint to this is that uh, the the guy who's sort of been tending OpenSSL previously, that project, commented that, "Yeah." Um, we've been getting about two thousand dollars a year so i mean it had really OpenSSL had been on a shoestring basically unpaid uh for all of this and then everyone realized wait a minute we're all using it and no one's paying for it it's just we just we just sort of assumed hey look there it is it works we'll use it yay open source and so now it's really going to get some money. So I just and now, and not only this doesn't all go to OpenSSL. Um, the the foundation will be identifying a number of worthy OpenSSL. Oh, I'm sorry, open source projects of which OpenSSL is the first, but not the last. So this, you know, is really a great outcome for for this. And um, you know, it, it probably took something like this. I mean, of this sort of breathtaking. Uh, scope to to really wake everyone up and say, wait a minute, you know, we're you know everybody, I mean, is, is using it. I ought to say, however, that Microsoft's not using it yet. They're stepping up and going to contribute their hundred thousand dollars a year too. So even companies that aren't directly using this are saying, hey, you know, we want to support this. And I do think I remember that when, that Microsoft's Internet Stack got changed in the past. They didn't have a very mature one. And I don't remember now what version of Windows. It might have been when they went to Windows 2000. Everyone looked at it and thought, wow, you know, where did this come from? And there was some speculation at the time that this came from one of the BSD Unixes That, you know, that Microsoft borrowed the open source code and made it their own. So, you know... In that sense, if that ends up, if that was the case, because uh, I do remember that at the time, it's like you know, you just don't come up with a mature, incredibly well-behaved TCP/IP stack out of nowhere, and they it was clear that they weren't using the one they had, and there were some characteristics of it that the people who were looking at it closely at the time thought, ah, eh, this kind of is behaving suspiciously like. Uh, i don 't remember now open b s d or free b s d or 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 one of them so anyway it 's clear that as an industry, we get a huge amount of benefit from all of the basically volunteer work that the open source projects do i think it 's great that they 'll be able to to you know get funding and uh and and tackle some of the needs that they have uh i share i want to share a nice note and i i try to find when I talk about Spinrite different ways it's being used to sort of that people may not have thought of before. And I found another one, uh, a guy named Gary Ford, F-O-A-R-D, who's in England um, uh, at the broadband, the broadbandengineer.co.uk. Uh, he sent a note on on the 12th of this month, just headlined or, or titled with the, with the subject Right Testimonial. He said, hi, Steve. Long time listener, etc. Just thought I'd drop you a note that you might like. I get pleasure from keeping old computers working and appreciate basic but good programs that have a purpose and do a good job. So I was very happy when I saw how SpinWrite worked and behaved. I use standard Ubuntu nearly everywhere now. and he says, since Windows ME ran out and was then relying on Firefox to keep me safe. He says, I installed a full working Ubuntu OS on a USB thumb drive, not a live install ISO. So I have a fully patched computer rattling around in my pocket on my key ring. However, once in a while, it becomes slow. So I get an old 256k RAM compact Presario 700, which was otherwise only used to practice Linux server commands on, boot Spinrite, and run Spinrite against that plugged-in USB drive. I have to run it on level three to do any good, but the difference is unbelievable. So well done, Steve, for giving a very old computer a practical use and keeping my portable Ubuntu disk running sweet. Why do you think Regards, that works? Gary Ford. Well, it's interesting. We we talk about level two, which is read-only, and level four, which is the more the the, the more grueling uh, process where spinrite reads the data. Inverts it, writes it, reads it, inverts it, writes it, and then reads it, so that it, you know, it double inverts it. it comes back the way it was, but it just gives it some real exercise. Three is a lighter; it's like spin It's like level four light, where and and it. I designed it just to do a refresh, so it just reads and writes, and and so what he so that's probably it's gentler on a on a USB drive or let us say on a solid state drive then certainly then then level 4 yet just on in his case just doing a standard read doesn't like shake the dust out of the <laughs> shake the dust out of it so it's, it does a read and a write so essentially probably what's happening is he's the, the the drive is getting soft read errors so it's having to perform error correction which it may not mm. be able to do very quickly, but by by reading it and then rewriting it, essentially he's he's writing it strongly again. Remember that essentially, solid state drives are, are like little capacitors. They're little.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't think instant- they'd have the same problems magnetic drives would as as for that. Correct.
1: And, and so what happens is if he if these little capacitors are tending to bleed their charge they'll they'll begin you'll begin to get soft errors as they're no longer reliably read and so that that, that is what how SpinWrite fixes solid state drives is it by rewriting them it's before they become completely unreadable it's able essentially to recharge the the little capacitors in the memory which are fading over time yeah, because usually when solid state drives
0: get slow, in my experience, is because of tri- you know, not being trim, not being supported.
1: Well, that uh, and, and that's a different instance. The, yeah, that's there, something else. Be- yeah, th- because there, um, what what's happening with, with, with trim is that solid state drives can only write in large blocks, and so if you modify one sector, for example, in eight. Um, it's forced to read all eight, change the data in one, and then write back all eight because it only operates in blocks. Trim is a way for the operating system to say, I'm only actually interested in this one sector, so don't bother like dealing with, with the whole block. Only Only fix this one. And so, so, so it's a it provides additional information to the drive, allowing it to operate more quickly. Um, and so, this is different from that. Th- th- this is actual bits softening over time, um, and just just by having spin so, read so and actually
0: rewrite that, it. that happens on SSDs.
1: Yep. Huh. Yep. And we and we we we've covered spin write actually recovering SSDs. That's the reason I'm yeah. convinced now. It really has many, many, many years. Of additional life is it's fixing SSDs for people. Interesting. Well, let
0: us. Uh, are you ready? Because I don't. I yeah. don't have any more ads. So let's get right into it. Okay.
1: So uh, first, a little bit of a review on how revocation. on how 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 trust works, and then we'll talk about how untrusting works. So so trust is based, and this is, it's a very clever system. It's known sort of generically by the acronym uh, PKI, the public key infrastructure, which is, which is, you know, underpins a lot of the way the internet works and probably more of it in the future because it's turned out to be, you know, a handy and a a robust technology. So, and, and we've talked about this in bits and pieces, but I'll sort of give a quick overview. So we have a foundation um the idea is that that we want to connect to a server who whose identity we can verify. We need to identify I, we need to verify its identity because there are bad things that that attackers can do that could cause us to go to the wrong server. Um we've talked about ARP poisoning in the past, a way of essentially getting your traffic filtered where where your your traffic could be redirected somewhere the the problem with dns poisoning or or router poisoning you know the, the for the infrastructure the whole internet to work correctly all these pieces have to be functioning correctly and there's been a lot of attention focused to hardening them over time so that we can we can more reliably trust them but ultimately the 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 best test is For the the machine we eventually connect to through DNS giving us the IP and then routers getting us to that correct IP, we want that machine to be able to provide us an assertion of its identity that we can verify. So that's the security certificate. What happened is it proved its identity to a third party to the so-called certificate authority. And and the certificate authority made it jump through whatever hoops were necessary so that the certificate authority was convinced who they were. Now, there are grades of that. For example, the weakest kind is called a DV, a domain validation. And typically, all you need to do is prove control of a domain. So, for example... If you got – and that's a, a low level of proof. So to get a domain validation, the certificate authority just emails, you know, like to webmaster at grc.com, and I just prove by clicking a link in the email that I'm able to receive email at the grc.com domain, and they go, okay, well, he's in control of it. Um, and if it's interesting too, because if like for for some reason you're unable to receive email, they'll give you something that you can put in a page on your server, and then they'll go look at a page on your server at grc.com or whatever domain you're registering. And again, you have proven you have control of that domain. So anyway, so the idea is that that one way or another, you prove. Whatever level of guarantee is being offered for the so-called EV, the extended validation certificate, they put you through much more. You know, they'll 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 call the phones. They'll try to find Dun and Bradstreet records that, that, that verify your address. They they they, they, they may phone your business uh, number during business hours. Uh, send you a fax to the fax number. Check your who is, and then use the phone number that is that, that, that's in your internet who is records for the domain and so forth. So generally, a higher level of proof for get for to, to develop a higher level of trust. So ultimately, though, once that's done, this this certificate is signed, and and essentially what is what's being signed is your public key. So the server generates a, a a public key pair keeps the private key to itself and says to this authority here's my public key and some identifying information please sign this now that you now that I've proven to you who I am your signature uh, essentially asserts that and so and, and that that's the other point the 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 proper terminology here is binding that that Certificate contains the the domain that that the certificate is for other organizational information, like the name of the company the the city and state and and province and so forth, depending upon the the country they're in, all of those things and the public key are collectively signed so that that creates a security binding binding all those things together so that is what it sends us, the web user, when we connect to this machine. We, we're we're hoping we're connecting to the right place. We're hoping that DNS wasn't poisoned, that our host file hasn't been screwed with, that routers between here and there have all taken us to the right place. Ultimately, though, we get this certificate from the the server we're connecting to, and it contains all that information. We verify that the URL that is on our browser, matches one of the URLs in the certificate. Certificates can have wildcards in some cases where it'll say star.grc.com, in which case it's any subdomain of grc.com, or it can enumerate specific ones. Some certificates are horrifying. They've got like hundreds of, of, of domains that they're valid for. I only say it's horrifying because it just seems a little scary. In the same way that trusting too many certificate authorities seems a little scary just from a, from a, you know, security wants to generally use the, the, the minimum solution that is sufficient. So, so the point is that we get this assertion from this server at this IP address and it's been signed by the certificate authority on behalf of that site. We contain in our browser, we've got all of these, these certificates from the various certificate authorities, which we use to, to verify the signature. It allows us to, 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 to cryptographically check that, that the certificate provided by the site has not had a single bit changed from what the certificate authority signed. Meaning that we can rely on those bindings of domain name, um, uh, public key, and all the other organizational information that is contained in that certificate. So, So that's the way the system works. We trust the server because someone we trust, that is the certificate authority, verified the server's identity signed that you know signed their name to that verification then the server has sent that to us and we're able to verify the signature so the you know the system works so we've also talked about how there's a there's a natural expiration to all of this um typically 2 or 3 years and I did notice I encountered for the first time longer um, life certificates. If you use an, a, a a larger hash, the SHA2 uh, family rather than the SHA1 hash, for example SHA256, um, on some some lower security certificates like a domain validation, you're able to get in a you know beyond three. I think I saw six years. So those live a lot longer. Uh, though they have a, a strong... Because they're, they're, the idea is you're going to trust them more because they have a hash that we believe is stronger and ultimately we're relying on the the cryptography bound into this system for, for lasting the length of the certificate. Otherwise, these certificates expire and we'll see that that's a good thing because that's part of the revocation system is we don't want these things to last forever. Now... What everyone has – what all of the certificate authorities have begun doing is using an intermediate certificate, which people are probably seeing if they look at certificates, so-called certificate chains. What I just described where the server certificate is signed by the certificate authority, I didn't explicitly say it, but if the so-called root certificate had done the signing, then – then there there would just be you know two nodes in this chain the problem is that exposes the certificate authorities root crypto on a daily basis sort of online in in real time and so and actually year, many years ago that's the way things were done but as we became sort of more aware of of how we want these models to evolve um and as it was more convenient to have the root certificates last longer, now, for example, they're expiring 15, 20 or more years from now, the certificate authority said, you know, we want to keep our root offline. We don't want it online where it's... I mean, I mean by offline, I mean literally not electronically accessible so that no kind of network penetration could put it at risk. So what, what they've done is the certificate authority creates a so-called intermediate certificate which sits in the middle it's the intermediate certificate which which signs the end certificate that is the the domain name the 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 web server certificate and that that solution allows them essentially to to camp or park their the 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 absolute golden master certificate authority route in a safety deposit box somewhere. No, not electronically available. It doesn't need to be electronically available because it only needs to sign the intermediate certificate once, then it can be completely taken offline. And the intermediate certificate is then used for all the bulk signing and the the the, the, the benefit. And the point of that is if anything did happen to the intermediate, that it somehow got loose or was compromised, then That's not a compromise of the route, and it doesn't completely – it doesn't create an upheaval of that certificate authority's complete infrastructure. So today, if you look at any of the chains, you will almost certainly see at least one intermediate and sometimes more than one depending upon – sort of the 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 provenance of the certificate, who, you know, where it came from and who signed it. Sometimes, for example, there are some newer certificate authorities which will themselves be signed by an older certificate authority. That's the way they bootstrap themselves into business was, you know, in the, in, uh, when a new certificate authority comes along, the web browsers don't know about it, but they want to be in business. So they get their cert signed by somebody who's, been around for a long time that all the servers trust and that allows them to get themselves bootstrapped while they're working on getting their own root certificate to be trusted throughout the the so-called pki the public key infrastructure okay so certificates live for some number of years at which point their their own date expires them so they're no longer going to be trusted So the problem was that the original guys designing this really cool infrastructure faced was what happens when a server that's, that's got a certificate installed on, on its server. And that's one of the problems with this is that there is inherent exposure, you know, I mean, and Heartbleed is a perfect example. The reason that, that there was this massive revocations, the, the, is that what we've discovered and, and several hackers confirmed is that it was possible with the Heartbleed vulnerability to, to find a server's keys in RAM. And, and, and thus, those keys had to be revoked. They ha- those keys had to be canceled prior to expiration and those companies were issued replacement keys but now we have a problem because if the if bad guys got a certificate which is sti- still valid until it expires and that's going to be on average years if we assume that there's that there's no relationship between when the attack occurs and when this particular certificate was first minted then a certificate, for example, with a three year life, which is what these domain validation certificates typically have, because you get a lower price if you buy it for three years. you know, they get the sort of the discount, the per year discount. So that means on average, it's going to have an 18 month remaining life. Some will be shorter, some will be longer, but on average, half that time is what w- is what we would expect. So for eighteen months now, bad guys have a certificate signed by an honest-to-God certificate authority that everybody trusts. We used to trust that certificate when it was being offered by the real server. Now the danger is bad guys could set up a clone server, you know, clone if, it, if this was an Amazon certificate or eBay or PayPal or something, they would set up a clone website that was offering this certificate – and they would still have to somehow arrange to get traffic there. They'd have to divert traffic. So they'd have to poison someone's host's file or or poison DNS. Uh, or somehow, you know, uh, we were just recently talking about how people's Soho routers were getting their DNS redirected. So, you know, what normally happens when you connect to a router at home is you're given its IP address, 192.168.0.11 or 100 or whatever it uses, you're given its IP as your DNS, and then your requests go to it, and then it forwards them, hopefully, to your ISP's DNS or wherever you it's configured. But if you were to redirect that, you'd have no knowledge that you were going to a bogus DNS server. And so what would happen is your browser would say, you know, would think it's going www.amazon.com it would ask for the IP it would get the wrong IP from a bad DNS server which would then take you to the attacker's server, which has been set up to look exactly like amazon.com and to deliver amazon.com's security certificate which was stolen from the real site there you'd have no reason to mistrust it your browser would look at the certificate and say oh yeah look it's got a, it's signed by somebody that we're all trusting it says www.amazon.com that's the url in the browser bar and i'm assuming that that's the ip i'm at because you know DNS told me that. And so you would end up with a, essentially on a fraudulent site with no, no reason to suspect this wasn't the case. The padlock would be closed. It, things would be all shiny and bright and looking, you know, all secure. And this would be a fraudulent connection. So clearly the, the guys that designed the system knew that, that's not good that that if not for heart bleed, certs are going to get revoked, and in fact, some studies have been done because there are, when reasons are are provided for why certificates were were revoked forty four percent of the time it's key compromise so and that is by far the most. The, the, the most cited reason for certs being revoked is who, for whatever reason, we don't know the details, but companies are believing that their keys are loose. Maybe they had a bad termination experience with, you know, somebody who thought might have had access to their keys and they're worried. So they just say, oh, you know, we're we're going to say that our keys may have been compromised. Who knows? But we do know that that it is the most often cited reason. So if that's the case then we really need to, to no longer trust this otherwise trustworthy key so essentially the, the the what what we need is some sort of out of band solution the in band system is asserting trust we need some way to verify that so that that's the creation of the so called Certificate Revocation List. The idea is that when a certificate is revoked, and you know the company says to its certificate authority, "Whoops, we still have two years left on our cert, but we can't trust it any longer." We won't go into details, but we think you know we need a replacement. Most CAs have no problem with that. So our certificate authorities have no problem with that. You 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 give them. New keys, um, they will re-key and reissue your certificate uh, for the balance of the lifetime uh, that you had on, on the first one. So, you know, it's not a big deal. What the certificate authority then does is they add the serial number of the previous and now revoked certificate to a list that they publish, and the cool thing about this system is that bound into the certificate that they issued, that is, they signed and returned to the server, is the URL of the list, which, if that certificate were ever to be revoked, its serial number would appear on, so it's a. When you think about it, it's a cool, clever system. So the idea is that the company getting the the certificate initially sends them their private key, their assertions about who they are, and the and the domains they want covered. The certificate authority not only verifies all that, but includes in what they return additional fields. And among among them is the UR, it's called the CRL distribution point. It, it's the, the, the certificate system has the ability to have extensions added to it. That is basically just additional information. And we're going to be talking about additional information on certificates in a few different contexts here in the next two weeks. So in this case, it's just sort of an additional field, which is defined in the industry that All of the systems know how to read, which is the URL of the the file, the, the CRL, the certificate revocation list, which if this certificate ever does need to get revoked for whatever reason, its serial number will be added to that list. So what that means is when we receive we we the internet surfer wanting to trust the server where we're visiting when we receive the certificate one of the things that we can do and we will do if we're concerned about revocation is we will look in this that that certificate's CRL distribution points entry get the URL pull you know query the URL which is being offered by the certificate authority, and quickly so hopefully quickly scan down this list, looking for our serial number to 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 verify it 's not there okay now there's some problems with this, which is where the story gets really interesting um, because notice that the whole system now is we we, we trust by default now we 're trying to override that trust and and even then we're needing to get a file that's listed in the certificate that that may contain the serial number warning us not to trust the certificate that's provided all this to us now it's not a problem that it's provided it to us it can't change that url remember this is all this is what the hash protects is it protects the contents of that certificate containing the URL, nothing can change that without breaking the signature on on the certificate. So if bad guys are trying to use that certificate, then, then, then they need somehow to prevent us from being able to find the serial number, which may be listed on the CRL, the certificate revocation list published by the certificate authority. So that net there, there we get into the you know the the what's needed to defeat the system which is which is sort of clearly an important part of this. So um over time so th- so this is the way the system was re- was originally built. Over time as we got increasingly busy as the Internet exploded. Um, and how? I mean, this is a Security Now podcast. We talk about, I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about the growing use of SSL. Remember that none of this comes into play with regular HTTP connections. None. There is no protection at all. Uh, that, that that is against DNS poisoning and, and router hijacking and 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 so forth. We're if unless we have a secure connection, unless we get an assertion of the identity of the far point we're connected to, we could be connecting to anybody. So so it, it thus the reason that that in recent years we, we we've really been pushing for. SSL everywhere, you know, it's only w- with SSL, now called TLS, that we get, all, we're able to rely on a lot of these ins- uh, assertions, which are sort of otherwise implicit. This makes them more testable. So imagine a system where normally you've got some churn in the CRL. That is, over the course of decades. Certificates are being issued. Certificates are being revoked. They're going on to the CRL, but they don't have to stay there forever. Remember that the date will expire the certificate also. So, as certificates are being added to the certificate revocation list, they only need to stay around. Until they expire, eh, and maybe with some fudge factor, because we want to make sure that that the 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 per that the clock, the calendar of the person doing the testing is correct, because they're going to look at the certificate, and if it's out of date, then they're not even going to bother checking the CRL, which the, that's the point. That's why it's not going to be on the CRL well after its expiration. But if it's almost expired, and they're clock is set wrong then and it had been and and had been removed from the CRL exactly on expiration then they might look at the CRL thinking that it's not yet it's not yet expired and trust it when they shouldn't so they normally stay on this on the certificate revocation list for some length of time after expiration just to make sure that we, we don't have that that you know uh boundary condition uncertainty uh around ex- expiration but the point is that the CRLs are are not growing forever infinitely. They because certificates do end up expiring off the end of them. At the same time, the life of certificates has relative has been relatively stable. Although as I mentioned, these six year certificates, well, that's going to be uh, that's going to tend to uh, keep these these revoked certificates around on CRLs longer because they're going to have a much longer life. But even notwithstanding the this recent increase in maximum certificate lifetime, as we get busier, we're issuing certificates more often. Yet they're, we're not shortening their lifetime. We're leaving it pretty much the same. Well, if you think about it, that means that, and if revocation is as a percentage of total certificates issued sort of staying around the same, but we're issuing more, we're going to be revoking more, which means we're putting them on the list at an increasing pace, yet they're expiring from the list at a fixed pace, which means the lists grow. And that's what's happened over time is the certificate revocation lists have beginning bigger and bigger and bigger, so that creates some problems, just practical problems. Because remember, this the way this is set up now. This is wired into us clicking on a link and first seeing a page before we are given the page we want. All of that has to happen in the background. We have to establish a connection to the server. It's got to give us a, a certificate. But before we present anything to the user, we got to make sure we can trust that certificate, which may require a fetch of the certificate revocation list listed on the certificate. Well, if that thing is huge, it's just in terms of just raw bandwidth and data transfer time, it's going to delay us getting the list and create some overhead in in making sure that our certificate is not listed anywhere on the list before we can first give this to the user. Now, one of the mitigating factors here is caching, and caching has been incorporated throughout this in order to, to, again, to create a trade-off. Certificate revocation lists are generally published daily, so most CAs, create a new CRL every day and they give it a one week expiration, meaning that they're saying this is good for a week. If, if it's, if you've got one that is expired, that is the, if you have a certificate revocation list, which is expired, you ought to get a new one. But, but every day they make new ones available. So, so this cre so this here we have some, some trade-off in security because obviously it, this creates a, a, a theoretical window of opportunity. If if the user was going to Amazon.com and checking Amazon's cer- uh, security uh certificate against its CRL, the CRL listed in the Amazon.com cert, then they would be pulling the the CRL from Amazon's authority that signed Amazon certificate, but they'd only be doing it if it needed updating. That is, if it was more than typically a week old, which means in general, it's going to be, what, three and a half days. It's going to be typically half that age on average. So in theory, if the bad guys were really quick, if they could set all this up, get the certificate, arrange their, arrange their their fraudulent site and traffic redirect and everything, and and it, and it happened that they fooled somebody who had picked up a copy of Amazon's certificate revocation list that hadn't yet expired, then even though the browser said, Oh, I already got a copy of that, I don't need to go fetch it because it's in my CRL cache. The browser would look through it, see no problem with this revoked certificate, which is actually on the current CRL being published by Amazon's certificate authority, but it's not in the copy in the cache that the browser has because they're allowed to be up to seven days old before they're refetched. So that creates a, you know, again, a a trade-off in security, which the industry has felt was the best they could do for a long time until... We went to the next step, which is called OCSP, which is a, a the evolution of the certificate revocation list model, which which solves the problem. It's worth also noting that one of the inefficiencies in the certificate revocation list model is that we're we're getting a huge list in the case of this this the certificate revocation list growth over time, only to check for the possible presence of one serial number out of however many are on the list. So it's it's sort of fundamentally inefficient. It made more sense in the old days when there were fewer certificate authorities, and the whole the whole PKI infrastructure was much smaller because then the cool thing was you might go to amazon and and download its ca's crl and then you well assuming that amazon existed back then (laughs) you know you'd go to something in the early days of the internet zombo.com that's where you'd go exactly yes and and then you'd go somewhere else that was using the same CA. That is, their their certificate was signed by the same certificate authority. And it's like, oh, look, I already have that. Not because you'd ever been to that site before, but because you'd been to a different site that shared certificate authorities. So when there were only a handful, it it was an elegant system. Because the idea was, it was a way of distributing these lists to users incrementally, maintaining them over time, but they'd all get shared by all the different sites you go to. The problem now is there's like, you know, there's been an explosion of certificate authorities, as we've talked about, you know, hundreds of them. And and, um, for, of course, the oft maligned and undeservedly so Hong Kong post office. Um, I, I, you know, we had fun with that years ago when I discovered that, you know, my browser was trusting things that the Hong Kong post office had signed. And it's like, wait a minute. I mean, there was 400, you know, certificate authorities back then. And so, so the point is that th- that original concept has lost some of its value as this as, as, you know, everyone said, Hey, we can make money selling certificates. Let's get in the business. And now there's many more than there were in, in the beginning, so. So that efficiency is lost and the certificate lists have exploded so then there's this overhead associated with getting you know with, with getting these these big lists downloaded. So what was created was called oh, the, the next generation the solution to this which is also a decade ago. I mean it's been around quite a while. I think it was in 99. So what f- 15 years ago they said okay We need something, we we need to replace, we need an alternative to this certificate revocation list. And they came up with OCSP, the Online Certificate Status Protocol. And with all of the foundation we've just laid, with everything you've just heard, this will be a small step forward, that you'll get this immediately. Because another extension was added to certificates. This one is called it's called the AIA extension which is the abbreviation for authority information access. I don't know why they choose these obscure names but cuz that doesn't tell me what it is authority information I mean, it doesn't say OCSP URL which would be, would be handy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, under the authority information access extension and anybody who's curious by the way you can see all these things if you if you open up any browser have it display the certificate. Look at the details. Scroll through the information. You'll see something that says CRL distribution points. And if you look in there, you'll find a URL of that that is the the sign the certificate parents, you know, the original signers URL. Now you'll know to see another one. Authority information access. That's the a different URL for the. Certificate authorities online um, certificate status protocol server. And you can probably guess what it does. The beauty of this is, it is you're making a specific query to that server about this one certificate. Instead of saying, oh, look, give me the list that I don't know how big it's going to be, I hope it's not big that that might contain this serial number now you're saying i've got this serial number what do you think and so your browser is now making an explicit query to a to back to the certificate authority saying i'm about to trust this which you signed 2 years ago is it still good so so that's an elegant solution. It's it, it's saying it's it's. I mean, it, it's again. It's still it's still trying to overcome the the implicit trust in the system. So it's a little sloppy in that sense. That is, we're first trusting. Now we're being asked to back that trust off. So so that so, But but that's the only thing we've come up with so far uh, that works. There have been some proposals, for example, a very short-term certificates that is change the whole system so that rather than having certificates last for multiple years we have the certificates themselves last only for days and then the idea would be that there would be a new system where the the web server would constantly go back and update its certificate in you know on the fly in in near real time so it's always providing a short lifetime certificate meaning that if it ever stops doing that the certs that it has will die in a short time the problem is there are huge dependencies in the system for example we we have talked about certificate pinning where you 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 make uh, special case exceptions to sp- sp- specific certificates, you say, okay, you know, this certificate is. Uh, I'm going to trust this one explicitly due to its its hash or its serial number. Period. Uh, and and typically, it, it, its hash is what, what what you trust. That's called pinning it. And there's there's instances where we're relying upon long-lived certificates throughout the infrastructure. So unfortunately, switching over to this rapid Short life certificate breaks all kinds of other assumptions that are long standing. Thus, the idea of leaving all that alone and then checking to like to get a near real time can we really trust the thing that we're being told to trust? That's the solution that that the industry has ended up choosing. So, the. So now, with OCSP, Online Certificate Status Protocol, it's very much it's sort of the same concept of a certificate revocation list, but no more lists. We we say, "Can I trust this certificate?" And what we get back is again a "Yes, you can" for a day. That is, there's there, there's again uh, caching involved. So so browsers. Can do they don't all do but they can have OCSP caching, um, which which just speeds things up in the short term. Normally, they're there you're not losing much there because the the even though the the certificate authority uh, may update its OCSP server instantly, in some cases they're aggregating updates and so they're not updating their server for you know, maybe daily, uh, normally no longer than that. And in my own experiments that I've been performing the last couple of weeks, it, the, the online update seems to be very, very quick. Um, and so, uh, but there's also caching involved. Uh, you guys may know that I set up that revoked.grc.com site. It turns out that when I first gave, when I first put that certificate up, it was not revoked. Then I had DigiCert revoke it for me, and, and the Windows server refused to acknowledge its revoked status. Nothing. I, I mean, I struggled for a day to, I mean, flushing caches and restarting it, and I could not get it to let go of it. And in fact, finally, what, what we ended up doing was we pre-revoked a certificate. And made sure that, that that it was in the system, in OCSP and in CRL before I ever let GRCs, that, that special revoked.grc.com server, even see it because it was so aggressively caching it. And that that's finally the way we were able to get it to to show the proper status. So, and I'm sure it would have, in fact, I did. I, I did go back and put that original cert in and Windows now saw, oh, yeah, that's that's revoked. But it did take some time. So there, there is there is caching built in throughout the system, normally, though, down on, on around the, the, the scope of a day or so. So, again, the system operates. Now, OCSP gives us, it, it lightens the load, um, and it means that the browsers aren't pulling back big lists. But it does create some problems. So one problem we touched on already, which is response time. That is the the user's feeling of snappiness, of, of speed. They enter the URL, they hit enter, they want an answer. But look what's going on behind the scenes now to be able to give them an answer they can trust. And that is that most of the time, another query needs to get made either to a hopefully not too big CRL or to the OCSP server to to verify if they're, if they've, if they're coming back to the site they visited an hour ago, probably no delay because the, either the CRL or the OCSP is cached and it's saying, yeah, we checked an hour ago, everything looked fine. We're going to assume that the, the world hasn't ended in the last hour. And so, then it, it, it's snappy, um, but it's still the case that there can be some delay introduced. Certainly, the the, the first time you make this access. Now, good, um, and I guess I'll say responsible certificate authorities have stepped up and and realized they can help everybody by by segmenting their CRL that is there's since the certificate specifies the url for the crl list in the original model there's no reason that every certificate they issue has to have the same url to specify the same list and thus that list has to be big enough to to to, to, to encompass all of those certificates that might be revoked there's no reason there's, you you could easily have you know fifty lists you know just put a you know stick a, a zero through forty nine in embedded in the URL somewhere and sequentially assign the URL to certificates and remember at, you know which certificate went to which URL suddenly now your lists are one fiftieth the size for everybody that's good for the. The bandwidth uh of of the of the certificate authority, because they're not having to deliver this monster list to every single person who asks. Now the people who are asking get a list 150th or even smaller, depending on how many segments you, you create. Um and so, so so there have been workarounds that that just make sense that lighten the load. But speed is still an issue. The other problem is. What if you get no response and and in the historically certificate authorities have been better about sending out certificates and cashing people's checks than they have been about giving keep making sure that their back end response on their revocation systems whether CRL or OCSP, and by the way, all certificate authorities have both now because we we're in a, this dual standard mode. Um, so there have been instances, and and also claims made that that these certificate responses can be really slow, or maybe entirely not forthcoming. So that begs the question: What do you do for no response? And the Standard answer has been we're going to do what's called fail soft. We're going to fail the verification soft, meaning allow, we're going to assume the best. We're going to allow the page, if we haven't been able to confirm it's bad, we're going to assume it's good. So we've been living in this world for a while. And this is the crux of, of uh, Adam Langley's argument that revocation is completely worthless and broken because in a world where you fail soft, he contends that an attacker can can defeat your ability to verify whether the certificate is bad or not. And if that's possible... In a fail soft world, then you're still going to visit the fraudulent website. And he's and absolutely true that if an attacker can defeat the revocation checking and you're set to fail soft, then you'll trust a certificate you shouldn't. Uh, my argument is it's certainly the case that that's possible. But there are many scenarios, for example, where you might already have the certificate cached from your use of Amazon the day before and it already has the revoked certificate in the cache and there's no fetch needed to find that that certificate should no longer be trusted. So, you know, so, you know, there are situations where it absolutely works. There are there are situations where it absolutely doesn't. And then there are probably the larger situation where it depends upon where the bad guy is placed. If they're right next to you in a network sense, they have more power over controlling you. But if they're, you know, over in Russia and relying on poisoning DNS and managing to fool one record, which is difficult enough to do, it's much more difficult to, to fool more than that, and they may have no access to the other path that, that your browser makes to get to the revocation, so it's certainly not the case that it is always possible for an attacker to block revocation. But the whole problem of a of the browser making an additional query hasn't set well with the the engineers of the internet, and so they came up with a brilliant. Solution, which is called stapling. Stapling, is it, it, as in stapling papers together. It's, it's in that sense. I don't know actually if there is another sense. <laughs> so,
0: well, yes. Remember? Oh no, I was thinking of Apple's uh, word for entanglement. Stapling uh, has right. no stapling has no
1: technological I, I think use. Sta- right. Staple, staple. <laughs> you can staple so, a stomach. So here is the beautiful solution. The web server, the same server you're connecting to, does the OCSP lookup, not per query, but occasionally. It makes the query to the certificate authority for a fresh OCSP assertion. The certificate authority signs these. That's, you know, in any event, no matter who asks for them, they're signed on the fly by the certificate authority saying yes here is a here's a fresh assertion that that this certificate is still good so the web server maintains a non expired ocsp assertion and say that the the these these things expire daily so every 3 hours to be safe or maybe every 8 hours whatever how, you know, three times a day, it independently at, makes a single query to the OCSP server, gets a fresh assertion, and keeps it. Then, with every query that the browser makes, that is, when the browser connects to the server, the server is able to not only give it the certificate, but it's able to staple the to that certificate, a non-expired, fresh, recently received by the certificate authority and signed assertion that, yes, the certificate is still good. It staples the the response to the cert. So this is, is, I mean, this this is where we're going to end up being. This is the right answer because look at what this means. First of all, in the browser queries the, the certificate authority model, it, it, say that you have a busy website, we, you know, it's, it's Google. And that means that everybody's browser visiting Google is having to also, as many initial connections that, as, as Google makes, there are the same number of those connections going to the certificate authority to verify this certificate. Now, of course, that's mitigated hugely by caching. Also by, remember, that we're reusing a, a connection credential, secure connection credentials. So, you know, all the other resources and all the other pages that you get after the first one, they're going to be running over that the trust that the first connection establishes. But still, all the initial visits to that site will result in 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 individual queries going to make you know redundant essentially, to make sure that certificate that everybody's getting is good. So it's so much cooler and cleaner if that server instead, occasionally, three times a day, and that gives it plenty of time to fall back because it's got a certificate lasting. It's It's got a, a, an OCSP assertion lasting 24 hours. So after eight, it starts, you know, making sure that it's going to be able to always present a fresh one that, that gives it lots of time, dramatically lessens the load on and the bandwidth consumed over on the on the certificate authority side and eliminates all delay. You, with the certificate, you get a fresh stapled assertion that it's trustworthy. Um, and it, it, and af- when that certificate is revoked, then the obviously the certificate authority will never again issue a yes, this is a trustworthy certificate. So it's impossible for the bad guys to staple a fresh assertion to the certificate. So, a couple things this thing needs. Um, First of all, this thing needs support of standards. Now, the fact is, it has been available in servers for years. Microsoft was one of the early leaders, and um, at least... Server 2003. I don't remember, I'm not sure exactly when, if, if it was in the very first release of 03, but Server 2003 uh, and 08 and 12, they've all got it and it's enabled by default. So you guys all know, you know, my, my, the, the term I've coined, the, the tyranny of the default. Default settings tend to be the way things stay. And Microsoft, has it on by default. All Microsoft servers on the net are offering stapling. Apache has it. Nginx has it. Uh, Lightspeed has it. Most of them have it turned off because it's disabled by default. So one of the things we've got to get the industry to do is to start turning stapling on. Now, the server won't offer stapling unless the browser says i know about stapling that is so in this initial connection handshake one of the things that the 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 cl- the so-called client hello message which w- our listeners who remember talking about ssl and tls will remember that's the first after establishing a tcp connection then we bring up the 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 tls connection so the client hello package from the client uh, needs to say, uh, tell me about stapling support. I, I, like, I want it. I know about stapling because I'm I'm a hip client over on this end. So if you can provide it, I want it. And that's necessary to, to for, for compatibility's sake. Um, unfortunately, there are clients where... If the server gave them information that they didn't understand, they would break. They would just, you know, the connection would collapse or the thing would crash or who knows what horrors. But the idea is for for compatibility's sake, we have to ask for it. So what we'll be talking about next week is what level of, of support on the client side and in browsers apparently exists um, it it is it it's been around enough now and long enough that the underpinnings, so to speak, are in place for this, and so when we ask, where it all internet um, all Microsoft servers are now able to provide a stapled response, which means zero delay and affirmative confirmation of the status of of the certificate. Um, And the other servers, the majority servers on the internet, the Apaches and the NGINXs can have it turned on. They ought to have it on now. There is no reason for it not to be on. It's obviously not breaking anything. Microsoft servers run with it on and it's working perfectly. Um, What anyone who's curious can do is the DigiCert guys added a page that allows you to check the to check any website uh, for uh, for this kind of revocation, which is uh, stapling OCSP and CRL. It's Digicert d-i-g-i-c-e-r-t dot com slash help. So it's just the help page at Digicert. You put the the URL or the domain name of a of a site in, and it will. Very quickly show you whether stapling is supported. Uh, in addition, I mean almost everybody supports OCSP and CRLs. I can't imagine that that there wouldn't be support. Um, but it's nice to see that that's there. Also, SSL Labs, I I, I should mention because they were quick to respond to the Heartbleed side. They also will show you whether stapling is supported. GRC has it because I'm on a Microsoft server. Um, and Google doesn't because well, <laughs> then therein lies a tale. That's a complex story. But uh, but again, most of the servers on the net don't. And there's and and we've just got to get this fixed now. Bad guys can attack this too, because we don't know as the browser that the server supports stapling. That is the client can say in his client, hello, hey, I want to uh, get OCSP response and I know all about stapling because I'm modern and hip. So, you know, if you can, send me a stapled response. Now, the problem is we don't know that the server that we're connecting to supports stapling. So, we don't know if it responds, sorry, I don't staple, whether, it, whether the legitimate server does or not. So, for example, say that, say that we we'll, we'll use GRC, for example, because I do staple. So you connect to the real grc.com, stapled response, you know the certificate's good. Everything's great. Somebody steals my keys, sets up a fraudulent GRC server. Well, all they have to do is not staple. That is, cert- clients say, hey, we're we're modern. Tell us if, you know, reassert, reaffirm your, your certificate status uh, with stapling. And the fraudulent GRC server says, sorry, uh, we're in the dark ages. We don't staple. Well, in fact, that's the majority response you're going to get from the Internet today. Um, but specifically, it's true for the real GRC site, not true for the fraudulent one, but The browser doesn't know that it should have a stapled response. So it says, oh, shoot. Okay, you can't tell me I'll go use the traditional means of querying the certificate authority for either its OCSP or its CRL. So the final solution um, is called OCSP must staple. And that's where we have to go. That's where we are going. We're not there today, but we're surprisingly close to having it in pieces. So the way OCSP must staple will work is when the site like mine, and believe me, I'll be on this um, immediately. When the site like mine gets a certificate, either in the so-called CSR, the certificate signing request, which is what I provide to the certificate authority, there might be a new field in there saying must staple. Um, Or it might be part of the form, the online form you fill out where you say, you know, I want to use SHA-1 or I want a key length of uh, 4096 or I want to use SHA-2. You know, there are some parameters you can choose in the certificate um, with the certificate, certificate authority. One of the things there could be a checkbox saying OCSP must staple. So what happens is using again these certificate extensions, there would be another extension, something like it would be wonderful if they would name it OCSP must staple, but they'll probably call it <laughs> some gobbledygook that you know, it's like, who knows what they're gonna call it. Um, the point is its presence in the certificate would assert that the server Serving this certificate staples. Now the bad guys are toast. Nothing they can do. Because if they steal a certificate, which is marked must staple, then they can't remove that. Remember, you can't mess with the fields in the certificate or that breaks the signature. So if it says must staple, and the browser receives a certificate that must, says must staple. Then the browser, sa- well, in fact, the, the, the browser, the, the sequence would be the browser in its client hello would have said, hey, I'm hip. I know about stapling. So bring it on. The server trying to fake it says, no, no, I don't know about stapling and sends a certificate back that says must staple. The browser says, sorry, something wrong here, not trusting you. So it, it is it is absolutely bulletproof. Now, there is a an interim measure that I believe Firefox is not far away from stepping up to a guy named Brian Smith has been working on this for a while. And it's it's very clever. And it's very much like something we've talked about before. Remember, HTTP strict transport security, HSTS. That's a header which the server provides to the browser saying all of its connections must be secure. And for example, GRC sends that header out with every single reply we assert only connect to us securely. The beauty of that is that the when with that, there's an age, we're able to say, I don't remember what, what the phrase is, but essentially it's a huge expiration, a minus set to maximum, because I'm never not going to do SSL anymore. So the browser gets that and caches it. So even absent a certificate because we don't have that infrastructure in place yet. I mean, actually, apparently we're close the, 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 the OID, the, 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 you know, it's that weird looking code, the three dot one dot two dot nine dot, you know, sort of look, it, it's one of the, the, the standards based um, identifiers that's close, apparently being close to being assigned by, by the committee that, that creates all of this stuff. So we're, we're near to having that, maybe. But then again, remember, it's got to get through. I mean, all the software's got to get modified. All of the certificate authorities have to modify their issuing. They've got to create UIs. They've got to start issuing certificates that have this. So it may just be, no matter what we do, two or three years, unless people want to explicitly go and and um, uh, revoke and renew their certificates in order to get this, it's going to be some time before we get that assertion broadly uh, present in certificates. So in the meantime, this, this, and it may just be called must staple colon, maybe what the header is going to be. And it'll specify that the domains where stapling must be provided and the age, the, the the duration for which this assertion will remain true. And every time it's received from the server, that renews the browser's knowledge. Now this doesn't help the so-called first contact situation, obviously. And this is the same problem that the HSTS header had. It's one thing to say, I am never not going to have a secure connection. But if the absolutely very first connection you have is not secure... Um, or there's a way to intercept it and do a, what's called a, a you know a, a a downgrade attack to take the S's out of the HTTPS so that you establish a non-secure connection. Then even though the responses are screaming, we only want security. We only want security. The bad guy could strip that response so the browser never is told that the server was sending an an HSTS header for security. Similarly if if the server is sending must staple must staple must staple but if the bad guys are able to intercept that the first time the user goes to that site with that browser or before a pre- a previous assertion has expired although they last for years um in that case that's the the first visit problem the once we have this in certificates that gets defeated too. Nothing can override the assertion in the certificate. But until then, an extremely good solution is for us to, is, 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 oh, and, and servers can do it in the same way that it's trivial to add static headers into responses. I mean, all the servers on the planet, you can just have them say whatever they want to in the response headers in the same way that, you know, many servers added the HSTS header. We will add, must hyphen staple and the, the the various arguments immediately as soon as as soon as we settle on what the name is gonna be and then we're asserting grc and whomever else wants to support it that 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 w- our server the the server send you know the server at grc.com will always provide stapling and it makes us absolutely immune to Anything the bad guys can do, there's we still have some some caching window, um, uh, you know, like a day. Um, although, wow, when you consider that a certificate is you know sitting around for eighteen months, uh, and it actually does take time to set up infrastructure and so forth, it's unlikely that um, a day represents much of a weakness. But no one, I mean, it's essentially, that's the the, the trade off we make, and. There's nothing to prevent high-value sites from arranging with e- either their server or their certificate authority to say, "We want, you know, we're super high value. We we want to even minimize that one day. Let's make it an hour. We want to receive from you OCSP responses only valid for an hour. Uh, give us that. We'll 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 pick up an update from you." you know, starting after 30 minutes until we till we get one. And then we've just pretty much squeezed this window down nothing. So that's really where we are today with, you know, with how certificate revocation works, why the list concept grew over time, how um, certificate authorities could fragment the list into many sublists in order to solve the big list problem, one notable example of that not being done was just happened a couple of weeks ago with Heartbleed. Um, the uh, Cloudflare guys, after they had the confirmation from their cloudflarechallenge.com site uh, and they revoked that certificate famously, well, I'll tell talk about why that was famous uh, next week. Um, uh, they then revoked on the order of 140,000 global signed originated certificates and the global signed CRL is currently more than 5 million bytes. It it exploded the CRL's size. Uh, And unfortunately, you know, that's 140,000 sites that are represented by all of those expired domains and to be responsible Cloudflare did the responsible thing. They had to revoke them because it was was proven then that that any of those keys could have been obtained by bad guys without any record that anyone knew to be making at the time that that was being done. But there's an example of how this blob suddenly has exploded this CRL and now, unfortunately, it's going to drift through time um as those certificates randomly expire they'll be removed from that crl and so over time because there certainly won't be nearly as many coming in the front end of that list they'll they'll be expiring off the back end of, of that list and it'll it'll return to a manageable size the good news is that the crl is really now the you know no longer being used to to nearly the degree that OCSP is. OCSP, for all of these reasons, is the the preferred mechanism. It is faster, it is smaller, you're making a specific query for a specific uh, certificate, and and you get a yes, that's fine, or a no, that's not. Um, Unfortunately, we still have the situation of non-answer. What if you get a non-answer, which is where soft fail comes in? Um, The only browser currently that's that's currently available that supports hard fail as an option is firefox arguments are that oh no you can't use that absolutely not it'll just it won't work you'll get all kinds of false blocks for what it's worth i've always had it on and i've never encountered a a a failed page, a page that comes up and says it can't. You, I can't deliver this page to you because we cannot determine. I mean, I, I don't even know what it looks like when it says that because it's never happened. So, so if anyone is curious, I mentioned this last week, but now we have the foundation under the under. In, 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 and and if you're a Firefox user, you can the, by default Firefox is doing OCSp revocation checking. You can turn on must obtain. A response or treat the page as bad and then you're protected i mean app green really really well protected from any kind of spoofing next week we're going to go into now that we've got a good sense of theory what the various operating system platforms and browsers actually do today Um, and then as this evolves in the future uh you know that we'll we'll come back to it and keep everybody updated the hard fail
0: that I had with the uh, Mac, with the keychain thing, I did experience massive problems on that.
1: Yeah, I, and, and um, I had some conversation uh, with Ryan, who's uh, in the Chromium project. He indicated that, that there is a problem with the Mac. So I think specifically there's something that the Mac is not doing right that that causes that problem he he i think he called it a thread deadlock in some in some uh, circumstances yeah cuz so it wasn't it, with I mean,
0: browsers it was with just apps of various kinds maybe apps right. that are doing some sort of certific, certificate validation i don't know
1: yeah so so again this is this is something that you know, the the, the the reason I did the revoked site, the reason I've created some pages now at GRC.com is I want to explain this. I want to just shine a light on this because one of the things that, you know, I've seen people saying, I mean, like the, the engineers are saying, well, there's really no demand for, you know, improved revocation. It's like, no, there's no understanding that it's broken. There's no knowledge in, in the user community that it doesn't work. Everyone's just been assuming that it works. And unfortunately, uh, it, it really has a ways to go. We're very close. We, we just have to sort of, you know, get off our butts and, and make this work. And and actually, you know, Apple's got to fix this, um, certainly on the Mac platform, so, so that it's it, it works. Um, I mean, we need to, It's it, it's going to take the end users to tell the websites they care about that, you, that They want to see OCSB stapling enabled and the browsers that they care about to say, look, I want certificate revocation working rather than not. So anyway, I have some amazing news to discuss next week uh, that, I, again, ah. I think people will find very interesting. I, there's another page on GRC about CRL sets. Uh, which is linked. I, I'll stick it off the main menu. I haven't yet. It's down. There's a series of links at the bottom of the revoked page. Um, I finished it Sunday, uh, which is it's a very careful analysis of the, the solution that Chrome has chosen, which is one of the many things that we'll talk about next week. But if anyone wants a sneak peek uh, and actually everything I just talked about, I also have documented on the on what i call just a commentary page uh, the the title is ocs or the case for ocsp must staple because that's really where we have to go that solves this problem and it's one that you know that, that just no one seems anxious about but it it's just it's so we're so close to getting it fixed we just have to want to have it work
0: well there we go with part 1 of the certificate revocation saga
1: a new In hope. fact, I did create a I created a Bitly link. So come come to think of it, bit.ly slash c r l sets all lowercase. bit.ly dot slash c r l s e t s, and that'll uh, take anyone there who's curious about uh, the topic for next week. Cool. Get get study up, bone up for the next episode. God knows you'll need to. Uh,
0: Steve, <laughs> get, <laughs> do, are you? We're not going to do q and A Q&A next week then. Uh, week after. Week after. So questions yep. for Steve go to GRC.com slash feedback and we'll answer some in a couple of weeks. Uh you can hear this show or watch it if you wish. Somebody said, Why am I watching this? It's just Steve's head. <laughs> well, it's up to you. There's also PDP. I've always, wondered,
1: going I've on always wondered the same thing. <laughs> yeah. You resisted video and, harder and, than and, almost and, anybody. And else. and even worse, Leo, yeah. it is my head.
0: Yeah. It's like uh, yeah.
1: yeah. Even you didn't want this.
0: Wonder too late with steve. steve too late uh you can watch or listen uh at uh let's see uh, 1 p.m pacific 4 p.m eastern time 2000 utc on uh tuesdays right after mac break weekly but you can always get on demand video and audio after the fact audio 16 kilobit audio available at steve's site for the bandwidth impaired uh, well, along with transcripts so you could watch listen and read if you wish grc.com you can also find spin right there the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility and lots of free stuff and research it's just a it's
1: an encyclopedia of geeky stuff if indeed you- i forgot to mention that we had a, a one of our listeners did a really cool project he graphed the running time of the podcast from its inception <laughs> we'll we'll show it next week i just I, I a one-way
0: street i'm thinking i, but,
1: uh, di- I didn't get it yeah it's really it's and he he, he he separately graphed the q a and the non-q a episodes and so it, it's fun actually to see it so we'll show it next week i just i just i didn't have it written down in my notes and so it just didn't go out on you know out over the air but i've got it in my notes already for next week so we'll show that it's pretty fun and Already, Vet Man sitting in the uh, chat room has added
0: OCSP stapling to his Apache server. So you've... you've, Yay! One server at a time. You're changing the world.
1: Yay! Yeah, yeah. and you can go to digicert.com slash help, put your URL in, put put your domain name in, and Digicert should verify that you are now stapling. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah.
0: He's obviously got a good server. He's getting an A-plus on uh, SSL Labs and everything. He knows what he's doing. Nice. Um, we do have full quality audio and, yes, indeed, high-definition, crystal-clear video of Steve's mustache. Available at twit.tv sn for security now. Or you can always subscribe to all the different versions. Uh, and everywhere that you can find uh, Netcasts, iTunes, and most of in fact, all the apps uh, on all the mobile devices. Or get the uh, special Twit apps. There's Twit apps, uh, all, all unofficial, all approved uh, by me. Uh, on Android, on iPhone, on Windows Phone as well. I don't know if we have a BlackBerry app.
1: I think there's less demand for that than there used to be. I don't think that's a valuable uh, <laughs> And you, the BlackBerry man himself. I gave up. I can't go back. <laughs> uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for being here, Steve. Great stuff. And uh, we'll talk again
0: next week on Security Now. Thanks, Leo. Security.